0: All right. Thank you so much, Brother Roger, worship team. Take your Bible this morning and open to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And we've been in a series uh, through Second Thessalonians, and this is a little aside. Uh, last Sunday morning I made mention of a parable that Jesus told that related to the message last week of destiny that there's coming a dividing day. The wheat from the tares are going to be divided. That's what this parable is about. I want to come and, and look at that parable today as a follow-up to the message last week to get us ready for moving into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It also will give me another week to study that chapter. It's a very complex chapter. I've studied it before uh, many times. I've been studying it afresh, and I'm still scratching my head over some parts of it. And so I have another week now to, to study that. So, good guys versus bad guys is what I'm looking at today. Chapter 13. Verse 24 through 30, then verse 36 through 43. Remember the old westerns where you had the good guys and the bad guys, and you knew exactly who they were. The good guys wore a white hat. They rode a white horse, right? The bad guy had a black hat and rode a black horse or a dark horse. It was very clear who the good guys and the bad guys were in those old westerns, right? Then he got into the Clint Eastwood era. The anti hero. Well, the so called hero was just about as bad as the bad guys. And he got to where he really couldn't tell the good from the bad anymore. Or the good and the bad and the ugly. Remember that movie? <laughs> that suddenly comes to mind. Well, think about it this way sometimes it's hard to tell the genuine from imitations. Anytime there's something genuine, there's going to be imitations, right? Sometimes it's hard to tell who is a genuine Christian and who is simply wearing a mask and putting on a front. It's hard to tell sometimes the good guys from the bad guys. Jesus tells a parable about that in Matthew chapter 13. The story itself is found in verse 24 through 30, so stand with me. Then we look at that and then the explanation Jesus gives us. Jesus presents another parable to them saying, "...the kingdom of heaven... "...may be compared to a man who has sowed good seed in his field. But while this man was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. The wheat sprouted and bore grain. Then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather the tares up? And he said, No." For while you are gathering up the tares, you may also uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together till the harvest, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. We don't have to wonder what this means because Jesus tells us exactly what the story means. Look down at verse 36 and following. He left the crowds, he came into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Jesus said to them, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. As for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are angels. For just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send forth his angels. They will gather out his, of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, they will throw them into the furnace of fire, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's join together in prayer. Father, give us ears to hear today. What Jesus says and what he means by this parable. Father, we know there's coming a time of a great separation, the wheat separated from the tares. Father, impress this truth upon us today as we grow closer and closer to that time. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's the simplest and best definition I've ever heard of a parable. And this is really a, an earthly meaning that would have been very well known to the people that day. They were agricultural society, weren't they? So this picture would have been though, really, very well known. Man plants a field, puts weed out there. But at nighttime, an enemy comes and sows weeds or tares, or actually beaded darnel is what this really is describing here. He sows tares among this guy's wheat. Now, you would do that sometimes just somebody you didn't like, you want to get even with them, you know? You go sow some some tears and some weeds in there among their wheat. That was actually done by many times by people, and uh, at a certain stage of the growth, you really couldn't tell the tears from the wheat. In the beginning stages, they looked exactly the same. Even an expert would be fooled sometimes. But it was a totally different nature. You see, the the tear, the the beaded darnell, was slightly poisonous. It was a totally different nature. But they would grow together, and, uh, and many times the, 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 the roots would get intertwined with the wheat. That's why the farmer tells the workers, don't pull them up right now. Let them grow together through the harvest. Then we'll separate them out. Then we'll separate them out. We'll gather the wheat in the barn, and the tares, we will burn. When they got to the time of harvest, the nature of the two was obvious, so they would separate them out. There's a very obvious spiritual truth there, isn't there, about a coming day of separation. I've used the illustration many times of how you walk into this church and you sit on one side or the other. There's one side or the other. You're not somewhere in the middle. You're not halfway in, halfway out. And there will come a day when there will be a great division and you're going to be on one side or the other. On one side or the other. And with the message we looked at last week, at the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians, impressed that truth upon us. As we move closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ, the lines are being drawn more and more, light and dark. Don't you see that in the day in which we live? Well, this parable really calls that to our attention. First thing I want you to see is that there are two planters in the field. Two people who are doing the planting. Jesus sows the good seed, the devil sows the tares, Jesus tells us. The field is the property of the one who owns the good seed. There's the good guy that owned the field. An enemy came, an interloper came, and sowed the tares. So God is in control of this world. No doubt that he is the owner of this world. Somebody said the devil is like a squatter. A squatter is somebody that comes and takes up residence and land they don't have any claim to or any right to, they begin to farm that for their own benefit. That's what the devil does. The devil is like a squatter in this world. So the guy who came and sowed sowed the tares, the weeds, did it under cover of darkness. You know, a simple test, if you're trying to decide if something is right or wrong, whether you should do it or not do it, the simple test is, do you have to hide what you're doing? Do you have to hide what you're doing? Do you have to do it under the cover of night? Would you not want people to know? That's a pretty good test to tell you whether something is right or wrong. Well, that's what happens here. The man comes and does it under the cover of darkness. So, it's an imitation Then in the early stages, you really couldn't tell the the tear from the wheat. The devil's primary tool is imitation. Imitation. He's a counterfeiter. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? If you were a counterfeiter, you were going to uh, produce counterfeit money. Would you produce money that looked nothing like the real thing? Of course not. You want it to look as much like the real thing as possible, don't you? So, that's what the devil does. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 points this out to us. Uh, chapter 11, verse 13 through 15. It says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Paul's talking about some false apostles, false teachers that were around in his day. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Satan's a liar. He's an imitator. Therefore, it's no surprise if his apostles, his false apostles, do the same thing, if they try to imitate what is true. So it's no surprise to us at all that there are false religions, that there are cults around, it's been true ever since the church began. There have always been false teachers, false apostles, false cults, false things going around, imitations of the real thing. Even in Paul's day, he was trying to combat that in the first century church. And it's true today. For example, Mormons want to portray themselves as mainstream Christianity when they're not. They kind to of be preaching the same Jesus that we do, but it's another Jesus they are presenting. You can ask them, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? They say, yeah, we believe he's the Son of God, but they also believe we're all sons of God. We're all divine. (laughs) So it's very misleading. Many times cults will use some of the same terminology that we use, but they mean something very different by the terminology. They want the Bible. So there's always the question when you hear teaching going around about Jesus, is it the Jesus of the Bible? Is it the Jesus of the New Testament? Very simple test. Very simple test. Oh, Satan uses a lot of tools. He does persecute the church. But persecution has never stopped the church. In the early centuries, when Rome was persecuting believers as time went along, first of all, it was just the Jews doing the persecuting of Christians. And later on, the Romans were persecuting them. And one of the Roman historians wrote about the, the blood of the martyrs, those who were given their faith. For the, uh, given their life for the Christian faith, he said their blood is like seed. They cannot stop the church through persecution. Persecution has never stopped the church. The places in the world today where the Christianity is growing the strongest is places where it's being persecuted. It's places where it's being persecuted. So Satan does use persecution, but his primary tool is imitation. False doctrine false teaching, false brethren. That does a whole lot more damage to the church than persecution from the outside. False teaching from within has always been what has destroyed the church. So in the early stages, you couldn't tell the terror from the weed. It looked alike, but it was of a totally different nature. The devil is constantly mixing his people in among God's people. And sometimes God's people can't even tell the difference. So the two planters in the field God owns this world, no doubt about that. But there's evil at work. And, and the evil that's working in our world is not just some impersonal force like magnetism. It is a person. It is a person. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus said, uh, Let us not give in to temptation, but deliver us from evil, literally it means the evil one. Not just evil as a force, but it is a person. It is a person. It is Satan. Two planters in the field. Two planters in the field. Jesus planting the seed. Satan trying to sow the the false seed. But secondly, there are two growths that are taking place. Two growths that are taking place. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of the devil, are growing side by side. Now, in the the parable, the farmer tells the workers, well, don't try try to pull the tares out just yet because their roots may be intertwined with the wheat. Wait, let them grow together until the harvest. And so they are both growing together. They're both growing together. And they'll be separated out at the harvest time. So, you know, sense the world is, uh, is getting better, but it's also getting worse at the same time because the kingdom of God's growing, but also the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the devil is growing. God is allowing evil to grow at this time. Because it's serving his purpose. Don't doubt at all that God is ultimately in control. God is ultimately sovereign over evil. Even evil. We'll see that when we come into chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. An evil man arises in the last times. The Antichrist. The beast. The man of lawlessness that Paul describes here. But don't doubt at all that it is all under God's sovereignty. Under God's control. He's the one who is in control. He is the one who is in control. It's serving a larger purpose that we can't even comprehend. So we see evil grow. And sometimes it seems like evil has the upper hand, doesn't it? We look at our country right now, and it just seems like it's rampant in our country. Just hardcore, just outright evil is the only word to describe it. And it seems like it's got the upper hand, but in the end, it won't. In the end, it won't. The kingdom of God is growing too. Uh, Look at verse 31 through 33 of, of Matthew 13. As Jesus continues on the same subject, he says he presents another parable to him, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. This is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it's full grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to him. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. So it's like a mustard seed. It's like a small seed. The mustard seed was one of the smallest of seeds. You plant it, but it grows into a big tree. A woman takes leaven. She puts it in, in flour, and, and it permeates, and it grows. You see, the kingdom of God is growing. Maybe we can't perceive it with the eyes, but it's growing. Every time somebody comes to trust Christ as the Lord and Savior, the kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom is growing. The kingdom is growing. In some parts of the world, it's spreading like wildfire. And Like I said earlier, mostly in it, it places where it's being persecuted. That's where the church is growing the most. That's where it's growing the most. So, both kingdoms are here and they're growing. The kingdom of God is, is both present and future. Jesus Christ is going to reign upon this earth one day. But right now, the kingdom is growing. It's one you don't see with the eyes, and he points this out in some of his parables. But one day, it will come to full expression, and he will reign upon this earth. He will reign upon this earth. So we, right now, we live between the already and the not yet. You've heard me use that phrase a lot of times. I think it's very biblical. We live between the already and the not yet. It's growing. It's growing. When Jesus walked this earth, it seemed like there was a heightening up of demonic activity. Just his very presence drew that out because it's the nature of evil to strike out at good, isn't it? So as the kingdom grows, so does satanic opposition. Shouldn't surprise us. Anytime the kingdom of God is growing, anytime the church is growing, what begins to happen? The devil tries to stop it, doesn't he? In your personal life. If you're just apathetic, you don't care about the things of God, you know, well, the devil won't bother you. Why should he? You don't bother him any. (laughs) But if you really try to step out and move ahead and grow in your Christian faith and grow in your walk, what's going to happen in your life? Don't be surprised if all hell breaks loose. Because the devil doesn't like that. You make him very unhappy, so he's going to throw everything he can at you to try to discourage you try to get you off track, that throws new Christians off sometimes. They don't quite understand what's happening. They wonder why. You know, I'm trying to live for God. Why is everything going wrong? Well, actually, that's a sign you're going in the right direction. (laughs) If the devil never bothers you, you ought to sit down and look at your spiritual life. Maybe a sign that uh, you're no threat to him at all. You're not going anywhere in your Christian life. Same thing as the church, you know. If the church didn't bother us, you know, maybe it's because we're not bothering him any. Are we a threat to Satan? Does Satan see First Baptist Church a bit as a threat to him? I hope he does. Uh, bring it on! Come on, bring it on! Is <laughs> the way I feel. So, two kingdoms growing. Now, there's no doubt, no doubt about the outcome. These two kingdoms are headed for a showdown. They're headed for a showdown there's already no question about what the outcome is going to be. Jesus Christ is going to be victorious. He'll reign and rule upon this earth. That outcome was determined at the cross and resurrection. When Jesus came forth from the tomb the third day, death was conquered. It hasn't been fully realized yet. That victory hasn't been fully realized yet. But the outcome was decided right then and there. Sentence has been pronounced upon the devil the time will come when it that will be carried out when Jesus Christ comes back. When Jesus comes back, so the two kingdoms growing, no question about what's going to happen. So, right now, you got the kingdom of God growing, but also the kingdom of Satan, and it's not like a you know a dualism that you see in some pagan religions where you have a equal you know good versus evil, or like in Star Wars where you have the Force to the good side and the bad side of the Force. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. No, God is sovereign. God is in control totally. In a way that we can't even imagine. So, right now, we're living in the middle of the the already, but the not yet. Right now, we're in spiritual warfare, but take heart and be encouraged because the outcome is determined. And we look at that. When we get to the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians, you see that there. So, It just surprised us that even within the Christian movement, there's a mixture of wheat and tares. Even among the the, the institutional church, there's a mixture of wheat and tares, isn't there? Even among Jesus' apostles, that was a mixed bag, wasn't it? You had Judas there. In the early church, we always think of the early church as being ideal. But it wasn't. Look at chapter 5 of Acts. You have Ananias and Sapphira, some of the first hypocrites in the church. <laughs> There's always been hypocrites in the church. There always will be hypocrites in the church. There'll always be people who are who are just wearing a front, wearing a mask, pretending to be something that they really aren't. It shouldn't surprise us because that's the way Satan works. That's the way Satan works. But the fact there are hypocrites in the church should never be an excuse for a non-believer remaining a non-believer. You ever heard somebody say, I want to go to church because there's hypocrites in the church? You've heard that before, haven't you? Maybe you've said that before at times. I don't know. (laughs) Well, when people say that to me, I go, yeah, you're right. There are hypocrites in the church. But there are also people who are not hypocrites. (laughs) There are genuine people in the church. So, you know, that doesn't stop, shouldn't stop anybody because you don't answer for the person who is a hypocrite. You answer for you. You have to answer for you. So, two planters, two planters, two growths that are, that are taking place. And then thirdly, two destinies, two destinies. You now, I talked about this in the message last week. There comes a day of harvest when the wheat is going to be gathered into the barn. The tares will be burned. The, ob- the difference is obvious there. In this life, from our human eyes, we can't always tell the difference, but uh, there is The distinction that's going to come. There's a difference that's going to come. Look over at Luke chapter 13. And what Jesus says over here. I'll get there in a minute. Luke chapter 13. The verse 22. I want to start there. Jesus was passing from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? How many people are going to be saved? Are there just a few being saved? He said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and he began to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you talked in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south. They will recline at table in the kingdom of God. And Behold, some who are last will be first, some who are first will be last. Jesus says, don't spend time speculating about how many will be saved. Just be sure that you are among those who are saved. Be sure you're among those who are saved, because there are many who are deceived in this life, and they will be deceived thinking that they're going to be into heaven, and get into heaven, and he will shut them out and say, I never knew you. I said last week that's some of the most awesome words, incredible words, frightening words anybody could ever hear, for the Lord to say to them, "I never knew you. I never knew you." So a great separation comes about, where we do with tears. Which one are you? First Corinthians chapter one verse eighteen, Paul writes there. He says, "The preaching of the gospel is to those who are perishing, foolishness, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God." To those outside of Christ, the cross just seems foolish. It doesn't make any sense. But to you who are saved, it is the very power of God. It is the very power of God. Is it that power in your life? You know Him in a personal way. If you never have trusted Christ as your Savior, i invite you to come and trust Him today. Or maybe you need to come and pray at the altar about some matter. There's so many things that need pray it over these days we can't pray too much as a church can we maybe you want to come down here and pray during this time we pray always for god to open our eyes and that we respond to him the way that he would have us to so let's stand together and our song this morning is going to be open our eyes lord pray for god to open your eyes in these moments let's join together in prayer Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here today to worship you and praise you. It's been a great time of worship here in your house, and Father, we pray right now for these moments of, of commitment, moments of invitation, Father, And I pray that uh, you would touch hearts and lives here, Lord, if there's one among us that doesn't know you in a personal way as their Savior, may they step out and step forward and trust you, whatever other needs there may be here, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, just speak to hearts here today. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.